Rome was outside push mowing the grass. And it was almost dark. And I remember thinking, I thought she was just going to do that next week because it's almost dark and it's a Saturday evening and yeah. she was push mowing the front yard. And I, I just remember all this because of what happened next. Okay. Then I hear a very familiar song come on the television. Okay. And I'm like, oh my God. And there's a commercial. It's the preview for The Last Crusade. Oh. And my heart stopped beating in my chest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because Indiana Jones was my like boyhood freaking hero of all time. Yeah. And uh I'll never forget that. I I remember I can I can I can see it right now plain as day. Um and the day it came out, my dad picked me up at lunch at school and got me out of school. <laughs> I remember one of the cool kids who picked on me was like, Hey Lindeman, what the next the next Monday he's like, Hey Lindeman, your dad's pretty cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nice. He didn't say I'm cool. He said your dad's pretty chill. Nice. You know? And we went and saw last year, he said. Very nice. But uh let's see. Oh, but the yeah, the commercials or you didn't get the uh story talking about how you don't Back then, you didn't get a lot of info. You didn't know what's coming down the pipe. Yeah. Toy-wise, whatever. Movie-wise, unless you saw the commercials. Yeah. And now we do our best to skip and avoid commercials. Right. Yeah, I haven't seen a commercial in probably years. We have we have a couple of streaming services that have commercials. You know, we pick the cheaper plan that yeah, okay. you know, has some commercials. Yeah. I think our Hulu is that way. Oh, okay. Um, so does the show stop momentarily and you have a commercial? Or is it just at the beginning? No, yeah, I mean, it, it, they're interspersed. Okay, so it's it's similar to watching, you know, TV the way we did when we were kids. Um, but I feel like they're shorter. You know, there's one or two, and sometimes you can skip them. Okay, when we go to the beach each year, I'm always flabbergasted at the amount of commercials. It's a lot. Yeah. Oh my gosh, when you're not used to it. No. So yeah, that was that was an interesting trip that I took because I got to watch a show that I loved when I was younger, Junkyard Wars. But I also got to see all these commercials for Radio Shack and you know brands that don't exist or have radically changed, and it was it was interesting. So this is around oh two, so, yeah, somewhere in there, two thousand one, two thousand two, Junkyard Wars. Yep. Are you sure they only had ten hours to fix up a car? Yeah, ten hours. To build whatever. I mean, it could be anything from a, you know, a trebuchet for throwing pumpkins to an actual vehicle. A lot of them, a lot of them are vehicle-based. Nice. I did not think uh, on this podcast today, trebuchet would come up. Yes. Awesome. Yep. They had a, a jet-powered trike, uh, I think, on one episode. Yeah, one, they had to, they, one they did a, like a tractor pull at the end, so they had to build a vehicle that would, you know, pull the weighted sled Wow. in the, in the dirt. So, yeah. Try to think back to some of the other ones. But yeah, those are some of the ones that stick out. That's awesome. So are we on? We're on. What's up, guys and gals? Welcome to episode. We are now septuagenarians with the podcast. Episode 70. That's seven zero of the What Makes Us Human podcast. And we are really glad that you turned this on. Over here is JL and over there's JR. You're doing good, ain't you? I'm doing well. It's It's been a... Long, stressful week. I had a six-day work week, which I never have. Oh, that's right. Um, 
so between that and some audits and things coming up at work, it's 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 a stressful time. But uh, but you got yeah, you know, got to relax a little bit this afternoon and can't wait till Labor Day take <laughs> take a take a short trip. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, here's a caveat. Here's a warning to you, dear listener. Um, if you haven't, we're talking about a movie today. If you haven't seen the movie, um, don't turn us off. Uh, of course, I guess we could spoil the movie, maybe. Possibly. But there's not a whole lot of big spoilers in this. It's just a nice, relaxing, good movie. But uh, today we're talking about Driving Miss Daisy from 1989, released on December 15th, 1989. I had just turned 13 about a month and a half before when this came out. I would have been born about seven months after this came out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. So, which is one of the reasons why I had never seen this movie until you told me last week you want to do this as a topic. So this week you watched it. I did. I went out and watched it. It was it was good. That's only 99 minutes. But it's one of those, you know, when it comes to movies that came out before you were born, a lot of times you don't, you, you don't, you don't watch them either because you oh, have heard point. you have heard about them and they don't interest you, right? Or you just never heard about, them. right? And this one fell in the second category. I had just never heard of the movie. Oh, really? You never heard of Drive Miss Daisy? No. Did you recognize the song when it came, when it came on and everything? No, I guess not. Mm-mm. Okay. So yeah, it was it's a different experience because I mean I yeah I watched this for the first time a couple days ago. So this is the kind of thing that I like. Because, um, you know, it's like now every preview, you know, there's an, ex- you know, the, at first, you know, there's heavy duty music and the existential threat that the world is about to be destroyed, oh. you know, and then you see an explosion and you're introduced to a guy running and there's gunfire and then you see him a real heavy, quick kiss on a girl and there's sweat running down their faces as somebody jumps off a building, and then Vin Diesel drives a car into a Tyrannosaurus Rex's mouth, and another <laughs> explosion. You know what I mean? It's just it's ridiculous. Michael Bay movies. Yes, and it's like okay, you know. Um, and then The Rock eats the Hulk and spits him out like chewing gum. I mean, it's just there's like three lens flares in the yes, just in the preview. Yes, so uh, I like a, I like it when it's more real life okay and a lot of people say well that's boring well real let me tell you something if you think real life's boring you need to get around the block a little bit because real life is not boring at all um and this this movie is very relatable it's um it was shot we'll get into it but it was shot in atlanta where it's supposed to be and that in itself is very rare yeah you hardly ever shoot on location for that particular storyline you know um, and I heard over and over again, I went down a couple YouTube rabbit holes on this baby. And some of the execs at the film in the film industry were like, now who's going to want to sit and watch two elderly people talk in a kitchen? Okay. So they had to really fight and they're like, look, we can make this, you know, and they, they lost a lot of their budget. They got strict on them. So, um, it, it's one of my favorites. It really is one of my favorite movies. All right, so, but before we talk about the movie, okay, we have to talk about a guy named Alfred Urey. Have you ever heard of Alfred Urey? The name vaguely rings a bell, okay. but uh, I couldn't tell you who he is. All right, so Alfred Urey, in 1948, when he was a little lad, 
his father realized that his mother-in-law, so his his grandmother on his mom's side, mm-hmm. okay, his father realized that his mother-in-law um, was going to have to have some help. Okay. She still had it together in between the ears, but she was getting real dangerous with the family car. Okay. So his dad went out and found this fellow named Will Coleman. And from 1948 to 1973, Alfred Urey's grandmother on his mother's side was driven around by Will Coleman. Okay. And they came to be very good friends. So for, what was that, 25 years, um, Will Coleman drove around a lady named Lena Fox. Okay. And so Alfred Urey sat down one day. He At this point, as an adult, Alfred Urey had done one movie, Mystic Pizza. Okay. You heard of that, Robin? I, I have. Yeah. I, and I haven't seen that or anything about it, but I've heard the name. Um, so he, he didn't sit down to write a movie because uh, that wasn't usually his thing. He'd only done one. Uh, but he sat down and wrote a little basic, nice play about human life called Driving Miss Dayton. Okay. And Morgan Freeman played Will Coleman on stage at this play. For years. Hmm. Um, in, eight, in 1988, the year before this movie came out, Alfred Urey won the Pulitzer Prize for Driving Miss Daisy. Um, it started in a 74-seat theater, and it was supposed to run for, you know, three nights. And it did so well that it ran for two more weeks. And then they found a 299-seat theater, and it ran for five years. And Morgan Freeman was wow. Will Coleman. Now, what? Why do you build a theater that's 299 seats? Well, I can, okay. I remember one time growing up in church, uh, there was a local church near us that was building a large sanctuary. And something to do with if they hit 1,000 seats, they ended up 1,000 seat capacity. Yeah. It changed the whole game. With permits, it got more expensive. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they built it 999 seats. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. It's like leaving the floor of your workshop gravel instead of concrete. Yes. Because then it's not a permanent structure. Your grandfather did that, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Then it's not a permanent structure. Yeah. So then you don't pay taxes on it. Yeah. See, my my grandfather's shed had a gravel floor. Yeah. Yep. So Alfred Urey was Jewish. Okay. Still is, if he's still with us. Um, and, you know, in the movie, the family, Bully, and a, or Bully and his mom, uh, you know, they're a Jewish family. So this was not quite autobiographical, but it was pretty close. Pretty darn close to. And uh, when Morgan Freeman got wind that it was going to be a movie, uh, he called. I don't think it was the director, but he made a phone call. Was it the director? So Richard and Lily Finney Zanuck, the Zanucks, they're pretty famous in Hollywood. They produced this baby. He called Bruce Beresford, the director, and uh, said, I can't do his voice. I love his voice so much. Yeah. And he said, I have to play this guy. Yeah. I have to. Um, his And one of the reasons, and he was kind of right about that, because... Um, Will Coleman's son went and saw the play okay. a couple of years prior and, of course, found Morgan Freeman. You know, you, you go and congratulate them and say, great job. You know, how do you remember all those lines? You know, all that stuff. And um, 
And he told him, he said, I never thought I'd see my dad again, but tonight I, I saw my dad on stage. Wow. Yeah, that's all oh, massive tearjerker right yeah. there. You know, he did that well with the yeah. with the part. And I saw an interview with Morgan Freeman and he was asked, did you, you know, obviously you probably had to change this character from a, a, a stage play to to putting it in front of the camera on cinema. And Morgan Freeman said, oh, no. He said, I did not change a thing. He said, I played this exactly the way I played it on stage. And she was like, really? He said, oh, yeah. He said, hey, if it works, don't, don't fix it. One of the things that struck me when I started watching this was, and I know he was, he was aged up a little bit, and he was aged throughout the movie because of the span of time the movie covers. Right. But one of the things that struck me was, wow, even in 1989, Morgan Freeman looked old. He's 52. So. 52. Wow, okay. Yeah, so he is older than I thought he was anyway. Okay, so, so what they did was they did what's called a latex stipple. Um, and you can when you do latex stippling, um, it's not a makeup thing. It's a latex thing. So if you do makeup in the light, you can tell. And there's certain sections where you can freeze frame a movie and the, the actor basically looks like a clown. Yeah. If you're not careful, you got to be real careful with that. So uh, so they did latex stippling and you can you can only do that a square inch at a time. So it took a long time. Yeah. Well, the, the further into filming they got. Yeah. The more it right. Yeah, the more they did. Yeah, especially for Jessica Tandy, and around the neck area and stuff for her. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So and the makeup people won awards for this too. Yeah. So obviously, this took a long time to film. Thirty-one days. Okay. <laughs> a lot quicker than I would have. Right. Yeah, that's what they were given. They had seventy-four days, and Bruce Bareford, who's an Australian. And uh, a lot of people were nervous to have an Australian do this, but he said, "Hey, he he said I can I can come to America the way a guest can." I use this analogy a lot, so he he kind of said this, but it's my it's the way I always say what he's trying to say. He basically said, "I I can be a good guest at your house as I can see the spot in the carpet that you've gotten used to." Hmm. And he said, "You know, do you want an American presenting the South, or do you want somebody from outside who sees?" both sides of the South without, uh, I hate to use the word prejudice, but without, you know, leaning to one side or the other, he said, I can look at your South and present it on camera the way it really is. Okay. You know what I mean? So, uh, and they had a good point with that. And so he was able to take the American South in Georgia in the forties, all the way up into the seventies and present it in a great way where he's just showing what we had, you know, and it's not coming at it from any angle. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I forget what got me on Bruce Bereford. You said something. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, but Bruce. So Bruce Bereford directed this baby. So let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Flip the paper over. All right, it's produced by Warner Brothers. It's directed by Bruce Bereford and Aussie. Um, pr- the producers are Richard and Lily Finney Zanuck, who won an Academy Award for Best Picture that year. Uh, any idea of some famous movies Richard Zanuck might have done? Da-na. I'm sure it's a lot. I, I couldn't tell you right off. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, Jaws and Jaws 2. Cocoon. If you haven't seen Cocoon, Jared, you need to see Cocoon. I have not seen Cocoon. need to see that. Uh, Deep Impact. Okay. Another uh, Now, another must-see, Road to Perdition with Tom Hanks. 
Okay. Yeah, if you haven't seen Road to Perdition, you got to see it. Cinematography done by Peter James. All right, everybody I'm mentioning here had a really hard time because they had a tiny budget, which meant they had to get real creative and still come out with the best that they could do. Yeah. So it's like if I give you a quarter of your toolbox and say, all right, give me a masterpiece. And I don't know why Hollywood does that, but they like to do it. So cinematography done by Peter James, who was not, a, he couldn't afford to use the uh, normal tools in his box. He actually built a scaffold around the house and had to tear it down for outside shots huh. so that he could get great shots from outside of rooms through open windows that he normally couldn't get. Yeah. Edited by Mark Warner. Music. Okay, here we go. This little ditty. Hans Zimmer. Okay. I was shocked. Was that early for him? No. Because I do think of Hans Zimmer in more recent movies. Oh, yeah. But I don't know how long of a career he's had. He's had a long career. Yeah. And see, he said, I watched an interview with him, and he said with this film, yeah, so with every other film, he said he's up all night for weeks on end, slamming his head against a wall, sometimes literally trying to come out with a uh, a, a little ditty that's going to stick in your head. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's powerful. Like in the dark night, that boom, boom, you know, yep. just whatever. And it has to convey um, a character, not a movie. He said that's the trick is you you think your brain kind of wants to convey the movie, but you realize your heart is telling you it has to be conveying the characters. And he said with this, he kind of thought a little bit and he was watching some of the dailies that had been so a daily is, you know, what's filmed daily. Okay. And it looks pretty crappy because there's no editing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it looks like me and you shot it with 10 bucks sometimes, you know, the worst dailies I've ever seen that you'll ever see are Star Wars dailies. They're absolutely okay. horrific. I can see that. Yeah. Um, but he was watching a daily and it happened to be the scene where Morgan Freeman's driving along next to her and saying, come on, Miss Daisy, get in the car. You know, sure. I told your husband, I can't work for free, you know. Yeah. Um, and she's walking at a brisk pace. And he took, he said instantly he had the thing. Hmm. Da, 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 da. And he and it's it's the same timing as her footsteps on the sidewalk at that moment. Hmm, okay. And boom, he had. It. Well, the budget for this thing, I gotta remember I'm going through through uh the nitty-gritty of the movie here, but we're on music, so uh the budget of this thing was cut in half at one point. Okay. Well normally you use an orchestra <laughs> for a right? Sure. Yeah, for a soundtrack, for a score. Um, he did all of it himself on keyboard mm. with a synthesizer. Okay. Interesting. And he kept it simple. And you know, the movies, so you got a simple kitchen. Sure. Yeah. You got a, you got a can of salmon. It fits I mean, with the theme of the movie. The simplicity. Really yeah. Yeah, it does. So anyway, the music, I cannot believe, I just was so shocked. The, the, that was so cool. And see, my son loves Hans Zimmer. Yeah. He, we both do. And he told me, he said, whoever did that music was really good. And I was like, you're, I'm, you're not going to believe. And he said, you're kidding. And I said, no, it's Hans Zimmer. Yeah. I, uh, uh, his soundtrack for the first Sherlock Holmes movie with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, okay. Is music I like to put on when I'm reading or studying. Or yeah. Something. Okay. Um, it, it, 
I don't know. I mean, it fits what I'm doing without being distracting. You right. Know? Like, um, that's, I, sometimes I have a hard time listening to, I like to listen to music while I read or, or study, but um, sometimes I have a hard time with it because then I get distracted by the song or whatever. Oh, yeah. And that's, it's, it's excellent, but it's also, I can listen to it and multitask, you know. It's inspirational enough to not distract you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, man, the soundtrack for Interstellar, did you ever see Interstellar? I did not. Oh, Jerry. Oh, you got, oh my gosh. You got to see Interstellar. Holy cow. Um, yeah, I can't, words cannot describe for me the, the soundtrack for him. The score for Interstellar is absolutely out of this world. Not trying to be a pun there, but it is beyond belief good. One of my favorite scores of all time. Okay. Yeah. It, oh, man. it will You will levitate off the floor <laughs> at moments during that score. I cannot drive and listen to that because we'll crash. <laughs> um, all right. So release date. I've, I've said a couple of these already. December 15th. 1989, back in the good old days, uh, 99 minutes long, a budget of only 7.5 mil, mm. box office bring in of 145 million, $0.8 million. Wow. Holy shamoly. So all of a sudden, somebody realizes maybe people do like to watch two old people talk in a kitchen when they're talking about real life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a movie can be simple, but still speak to people. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yes, that's very good. Yeah, simple and yet say a lot. Kind of like a child. Okay. Because like there's, I noticed in the score, there's moments where it's almost teetering on, um, what's it called when you put a little baby to bed and there's like a... Like lullaby? Almost. It teeters on lullaby at times. Okay. It gets that simple. Yeah. Uh, when she's very old. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and a child can say one sentence and just silence a room when they say the obvious, you know? Okay. Um, all right. So, the cast is Jessica Tandy. All right. She's 80. She turned 81 during filming. Wow. Okay. I know, right? Uh, she plays Daisy Worthen. Daisy Worthen. Morgan Freeman is 52 in filming. He plays Hoke, H-O-K-E, Colburn. Hoke Colburn. Dan Aykroyd does a bang-up job. One of the Blues Brothers uh, does a bang-up job of playing Bully Worthen. Her son. Her son. That's yeah, right. The one who hires Hoke. Yep, hires Hoke. Um, in a very interesting scene. Yeah. With the elevator. I have to think this had to be one of Dan Aykroyd's first serious movies. Yes. Yeah, he'd been in a lot of movies. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, at that time, he was doing a lot of the... Uh, sort of SNL and related yeah. uh, movies. And you know, uh, comedians remind me we're going through characters. I get so sidetracked here. Lately. Okay. But you know, comedians like Rodney Dangerfield, he had a terrible childhood, but that allowed him to be the way he dealt with it. He's a wonderful comedian. Sure. So comedians, the way they do delve into the, the flip side of life that we don't enjoy and brings a lot of sorrow and tears. They deal with it in a great way, which means you, so a lot of times, man, you put a comedian in a serious movie and it is powerful. Okay. Very powerful. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I've been listening to Tom Hanks is another one. That's kind of like that. I've been listening to another uh, podcast that is comedians and, and it's dealing with Saturday night live. 
Okay. And uh, their guests are people from Saturday Night Live and or or somehow are tied into the show. Okay. So they they do. They talk to a lot of comedians and things. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of talk, both from the host and their guests, about the trauma they dealt with and how who they are today, why they're comedians comes from that. Yes. And yeah, yeah, David Spade, man, he, he lost, it was like losing a wife almost. He's totally world shattered watching Chris Farley destroy himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wife's the wrong comparison, but they were so close. Yeah. And David Spade at one point had to tell him, I, you know, I'm not going to talk to you anymore unless you can get this under control. Yeah. Cause I love you. Yeah. And, and Spade had a lot of trauma when he was younger as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so all that to say this comedian who rode down into the U.S. on a motorcycle from Canada <laughs> um, turns out to be a great bully worthen Republican <laughs> to his mom's chagrin in this yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the family was a Jewish family. Yeah. But a Jewish family in Atlanta. In Atlanta, and the dad is, is, you know, he's passed away at this point. Yeah. But he had started working industries. Yeah. Yeah. And textiles. Yeah. 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 Basically, his was cotton. Yeah. Yeah. A little on the nose, but. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, yeah, I mean, that was also interesting. And when they kind of got into some of that, the accents are pretty well done. They are, aren't they? Which can't, can't always be said of movies featured in the South. And I think it helps that the director is an Aussie. Okay. Because they're kind of famous for being able to, we're I've heard it said, and I agree with it, that um, a British actor can pull off a Southern accent better than anybody, pretty much. And you see that in like The Walking Dead with Rick. It depends. And Morgan, they do a good job of. Pulling that off. It depends on the southern accent. It does. Because yeah. there's like six. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, some of them do, especially the coastal area ones, do come from British English. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And Jessica Tandy does great. Dan Aykroyd does. Now, his is really thick. It is. But, you know, when he gets it, we'll get into it. But when he gets that phone call from Hoke and he's like, oh, mama's flying off the handle, Hoke. And he says, you know, no, so this time it's different. And and Dan Aykroyd says, I'll be right there. Yeah. You know, you just feel the, yeah. there's that dark side of life, you know. Yep. It, it falls really heavy. I'll be right there. Yep. All right. A couple more actresses. Patty Lapone plays Florine Worthen, Dan Aykroyd's wife. Okay. All right. Now, she's a very famous mod. This knocked my socks off. My wife was like, oh, Patty Lapone. I thought I recognized her. And I'm like, what? And she's uh, real big on stage and on and off Broadway. Okay. And she's a, she plays a very boisterous, she's Martin Crane's sister-in-law on Frasier. Okay. Yeah, I did not put that. I was like, honey, you've got to be kidding. She said, no, look look at it, you know, and she's right. That's Patty Lapone. And as it blew my socks off. Um, Esther Roll plays Idella. Do you know who Esther Roll is? No, right off, no. Esther Rowe, oh gosh, now I don't know. She played the mother in, I think it's Good Times. Okay. And she was also in Maud. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, she's Idella who passes away during the film. Sure. Yeah. And now, folks, I said there might be some spoilers, so there's a spoiler for you. Um, all right. A little bit of plot, shall we? Okay. 
The play starts in, or the, well, it is a play and a movie, but they both start in 1948. Instantly goes into the slight car crash <laughs> where uh, Daisy Wortham puts it in reverse, but forgets to switch pedals and drives into her neighbor's yard mm-hmm. over a brick wall. <laughs> it was a big deal. Sure. Yeah. And she's now she is uppity, but not, I don't know how to describe her. She thinks she's still dirt poor, but she's very wealthy. Yeah. You know, and she does. She thinks she doesn't care what other people think, but she does. Absolutely. And she's mortified. It shows all the neighbors out watching them tow the car back over the brick wall. Um, Cause it kind of, I think it got stuck on the brick wall. Really, It did. Yeah. Um, and she's hiding in the house while Booley, her husband, has left work and her is dealing son. with it. Her son, yeah. Bully, her, her son, is uh, left to deal with it in the yard. So Bully hires Hope to drive his mama around. Now, there's a really interesting scene at Bully's job where he, he runs Worth in the Industries mm-hmm. where there's a fella stuck in an elevator. And... uh Hoke walks up on all these men. Now you've been there for this, Jared, where all these, everybody knows the answer, but ain't nobody's answer working. Yeah. And everybody's got too much pride to say they don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Try this. Well, okay. Try this. Yeah. Yeah. I know this will do it. Yeah. Well, Hoke, he just, he's in the back and he's an older man by this point. Mm -hmm. He kind of takes his fedora off and he leans over and looks and he says, Hey, someone's because he knows the guy. Yeah. You know, is there a little switch up there? And the guy says, yeah. And he says, pull on it. And he pulls on it. And then he says, now do this. And boom, fixes the problem. The guy comes out of the elevator. Well, that gets Bully's attention. And uh, eventually they have a little talk and Bully hires Hoke to drive his mother around in a 1949 Commodore that he has just bought with the insurance, $2,700 of insurance money that his mama has cost the insurance company. The Packard. Yeah. Yep. Now it takes six days. It takes six days of hard work before Hope can finally get her butt in the car. Sure. And it's funny because he gets her to the Piggly Wiggly. And he plays that because he realizes that she's prouder than she lets on. Yeah. She's embarrassed that all these people are seeing her walk down the street while he follows her in the car and tries to get her to get in the car. Yeah, she storms off. That's how he gets her to to finally agree to get in the car just so people will stop staring. Yes, that's exactly. Yeah, there's that little shot of those two women looking over the hedge at her, and she sees them looking at her. Yeah, there's there's a lot in this movie where it's Hoke is much smarter than a lot of other people in the movie give him credit for. That's right. And he kind of uses it to his advantage. Yeah. Not in a bad way, but uses it to, you know, to get her to actually ride in the car. To help people. To, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, and a lot of and a lot of entertainment, the person that knows the most uses it to put others down and lift themselves up. Mm-hmm. And he does the reverse. He's just helping you out. Yeah. But he's also coming from a marginalized place in society where he's not listened to. Yeah. And so it takes him a while to get his point across. But he's helping people who don't want help. <laughs> yeah. Who need help but don't want <laughs> right. help. Um by basically playing with like Knowing how to work the situation. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and while she's marching down the sidewalk saying, what are you doing? You know, let me alone, Hope. Those footsteps are where Hans Zimmer got his timing for yep. the yeah the main thing. So during those six days, uh, he tends to her Xenia flower bed and she tells him to quit. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. He's, he looks at the pictures of her teaching students, and she tells him to quit nosing around in her things. He can't do anything right. Yeah, it's just pictures hanging on the wall. It's not like yeah. he's going through. Yeah. And he, he's dusting light bulbs. And she says, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, you know. Yep. But he finally gets her in the car. Yep. And says, let's, you know, she says, we're going to the Piggly Wiggly. But all these years, she has driven three blocks out of her way to get to the Piggly Wiggly. Yep. And she thinks she's being kidnapped when he doesn't make the left turn onto whatever street. And then he says, look there. There it is, Miss Daisy. And once he gets there, he's using a payphone to call Bully and tell him, I finally did it. And she sees him through the glass and gets all mad, you know. But I thought it was hilarious because he said, you know, it only took the Lord six days to make the world. It took me the same amount of time to get your mama in the car. (laughs) All right. Now, once he's able to start driving her, then he has to deal with the up and close attitude because she's been avoiding him. Mm Mm-hmm. And he gets the attitude. Like, on that first drive, she tells him to slow down. And he's like, I'm doing 19 miles an hour, Miss Daisy. And she says, well, the slower you go, the more gas you'll save. My husband taught me that. And I remember everything he taught me. And then he says, well, the speed limit's 35. <laughs> you know, So he gets constant, constant attitude. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't like him. Now, she likes Idella. She loves Adela. Adela's been with her, what, 15 years, I think she says. Something, yeah. Um, and there's a moment during those original six days where Adela says, I'm gone, Miss Daisy. And uh, she says, all right, Adela, we'll see you tomorrow. And Hoke says, I'm, I'm right behind her, Miss Daisy. We'll see you tomorrow. And she goes, good. <laughs> I'm glad you're leaving, you know. Um, but she finds a way to fire him. And okay. It's a can of salmon. He calls it salmon. But uh, so she calls Bully at Worthen Industries and says, you got to get here. We've got a problem. No, 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 he was he was about to sit down to breakfast. He was still at home. Oh, that's right. He was sitting down to breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly you're right. So he exactly had to right. skip his breakfast to drive right over there. Rush over to mom to mama's. Yep. And uh, the big issue that you're right, because he said, you made me miss my breakfast. Uh, she opened the pantry and she had bought nine cans of salmon for 33 cents a piece. $3 and one was missing and she found it empty under some coffee grounds in the trash can. And of course he's like, mama, you gotta be kidding. And of course when Hope comes in, you know, he's like, Hope, we're going to have to have a discussion. And he says, let me take off my jacket and I'll be right there. And while he's taking off his jacket, uh, yeah, he's taking off his jacket and he reaches in his jacket. Pocket. Oh, that's right. And he says, Oh yeah, Miss Daisy. That's right. And he tells her, you know, you told me to eat the pork chops, but they were a little on the stiff side. So I just opened a can of salmon. And here, here yeah, here's the new. I went to Piggly Wiggly this morning and got you a new can. The yeah. new can. Yeah. Yep. And Bully's like, Mama, are you good? Yes, honey, I'm good. You know, and she can't fire him. Yep. All right. Then we get to the graveyard scene. So they go visit the graveyard just outside Atlanta. He says it's not even the 15th of the month. And this, you're the best wife, the best widow in Atlanta, Miss Daisy. We're not even halfway through the month, and we've been here three times. Um, and this is where the film changes. Mm-hmm. Your first real sign of a relationship happens over something that's very embarrassing for Hoke, which is what? He can't read. He can't read. So he, he knows that nearby is a grave for somebody that he knew. No. Is that right? She... 
she has flowers that one of her friends has sent with her. Okay. For her friend's uh, deceased husband. And she tells Hoke, while she's still planting flowers on her husband's grave, go take these. To the bower. To the bower grave. You're right. Okay, you're right. And he says, what does that look like? Yeah. And she says, what do you mean, what does that look like? Yeah. Now, this is very, I love this. There's a lot here. I don't want to make more of it than there is, but there's a lot here. Um, she teaches him within a minute, within 60 seconds, how to recognize Bauer on a tombstone. Yeah, because he said he knows the letters of the alphabet. Right. But he can't read. He can't put them together. Yep. In words. Right. Yeah. Now, remember, she's Jewish. Yes. Okay. So, basically, no vowels. Okay. All right. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And and she doesn't teach him any vowels, does she, for Bauer? Yeah, not in this initial scene. She doesn't yet. tackle the A, the U, and the E. Yeah. She just teaches him. I, I just now thought of that. She just teaches him what she would see on a page when she was a little girl reading her Torah. She teaches him the B and the R. Yeah. What is what does it start with? What's the sound? What is that what is what does that sound like? Right. Okay, look for a B. And she doesn't tell him anything. And the last you know, the last letter, what does that sound like? An R. Okay, so it's gonna start with B and end with the R. We'll worry about the stuff in the middle later. That's exactly right. That's exactly the script, pretty much. But you can find it you can find it with that. Yeah. And but she she does that without telling him anything. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting. That's the man, that is the best education. Um, and she was a teacher. Yes. So she had taught kids, a lot of kids, to read. Yep. So. She said, I've taught the stupidest children in this county to read, and they can still read. So I know I can teach you because yeah. you're not stupid yet. Yeah. But she asks him, so she doesn't tell him a thing. She asks him, and she lets him come out with it. Yep. Yeah, because he knows his ABCs. That's powerful. That's really, really, really good. Um, I think that would change a lot in our society if we quit telling people everything and let them come to it on their own. Okay. Give them enough rope to make the journey themselves. You know what I'm saying? Because then it's not, it's not, it's no longer discovery when you get everything sure. from your uh, echo chamber of news, you're not discovering anything. Sure. Yeah. And so much of education now is, is just essentially trivia. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's telling them to remember something it's not teaching how to learn. Right. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, they have to teach the test because if, you know, we, you know, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But right. they don't, you know, kids aren't taught how to, how to learn. Yeah. It's also why, you know, it also gets into why things like philosophy, you know, don't get taught. It takes a different level of processing you have to learn other steps before you can get to the point of teaching someone philosophy yeah they have to already know and somewhat have a hunger for learning they have to know how to learn and then have a hunger for learning yeah philosophy means a study of wisdom yeah yeah that's exactly you, right you can but if you can recall even for the sake of a week something you can get a's on a test so yeah but you haven't learned anything. Correct. I teach anybody that Pericles put pebbles in his mouth so he wouldn't stutter. But you know nothing of Athens in the 5th century if that's all you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and you don't know how to go find out more. 
Right. Yes. So there's a reason that philosophy is the, and, and folks, we will come back to drive Miss Daisy, but we got to tie this up. There's a reason philosophy is the sister of theology. Yes. And theology, I've asked Sunday school classes this before filling in for a teacher, and I can't get this answer. Philosophy is the queen of the sciences. Yes. But even that has been forgotten. In, even in the uppermost echelons of education, sure, theology is no longer the queen of the sciences. That's why the Ivy Leagues were started to train to teach theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that, I, man, that was a powerful scene. Golly, that was good. So uh, first real sign of relationship, and that is um, she finally gets a tiny sliver of what Bully and Hoke got immediately, that glimmer in the eye. The hey, we're on this road together. Sure, you know, I mean, Hope got it pretty quick with Bully when he fixed the elevator. Told the guy to fix the elevator. Mm-hmm. There's some trust there. Yeah, you know. So anyway, but it, yeah, again, it's kind of. I don't think because it was embarrassing for him. I don't think he was using this to try to like trick her into. Oh yeah, him. yeah. She is definitely just. She's teaching him both because she's incredulous that he can't read. But also, so he can go take care of what he what she told him to take care of without her having to stop what she's doing. So the writing is so good because it, they're yes. both forced. They're both forced by the situation to be who they really are. Yeah, in front of the other person. Yeah, it gets into. You know, that's where the relationship starts. But really, it starts because she doesn't want to be have to stop what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, to to go do this for him, sort of thing. Yeah. And that keeps it from being cheesy. Sure. Mm-hmm. She doesn't doesn't change her character. Right, yeah. And I heard over and over again in some of the YouTube rabbit hole that um, there's a fine line with this. I think somebody said it was a fine line kind of like with horror. If you're not careful, you're funny. You know? Yeah. And horror, horror uh, throws a bone at that by having a funny moment on purpose sometimes anyway. You know, in zombie movies, there's there's some there's some comedy thrown in there. You know, sure. And with this, they were having to they they wanted to be sentimental, but they didn't want to be cheesy. Yeah, because then you're not going to bring in 148 million dollars, <laughs> right? You're going to lose people. Yeah. You're going to lose people. Yeah, they're going to go to sleep and then not tell anybody to come see your movie. Um, a little later on, spoiler alert: Adele dies. Um, she spills a, b- a bowl of peas in the kitchen and Hope walks in. I mean, he's not gone 10 seconds yeah. and he comes back and she's gone. Yeah. She's passed away. But that forces him into a whole new role in the kitchen, you know, but she doesn't trust him enough yet. So she's trying to recreate Adele's fried chicken. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you got the heat way too high. <laughs> you know? And when he walks out, she checks to make sure he ain't looking and she turns the heat down. The classic mistakes, yeah. She made the classic mistakes she make when frying chicken. She had the pan crowded and the heat too high. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Those are classics. Yeah. Okay. So if the chicken's touching and you try to separate it, it's going to pull the bread off. Is that what he's saying? It's going to be mushy where it's touching. Oh. It's not going to crisp. Okay. All right. And there's a later shot in the film where he's eating crispy fried chicken. Yeah. So it, it, everything starts working out. And then they talk about that, you know. Yeah. Because at one point they talk about how there hasn't been any good coffee, coffee in this house since she died. And she says, yeah, she said, I learned how to make her fried chicken and how to make her biscuits, but but I don't know how to make her coffee. And we all know who taught her those things. Probably him. 
Oh, the chicken and the biscuit, yeah, yeah. possibly. Yeah, it shows that relationship. Yeah. And there's a shot of them. So there's a line that he says that you can easily miss early during the six days okay. where he's trying to get her in the car. And he says, you got a nice little spot. It's getting a lot of sun and it's good soil behind the garage. You could have a nice tomato garden. Yeah. And she's like, if I wanted that, I'd have done it years ago. Leave me alone. And there's a sh- just a simple shot, no dialogue of them behind there tending tomatoes. Yep. Yeah. That man that everything in this is it just speaks a lot, but you gotta be willing to look for it. And there's and there's a there's a point before that. I think it's after Idella dies, but before uh Hoke is really thrust into this role of really helping care for her more than just driving. Um, where I think it's maybe it's right before Idella's funeral where she's staying there and she looks out at that at that grassy spot in the backyard. Yeah, you're mentioned. right. You're right. And, and then later, thinking. after their relationship grows, yeah, you see the shot of them picking vegetables and the. And yep. No dialogue. Yep. Yep. All right. Now, it, more is revealed about her with this. And this actually happened um, during the author, uh, during Alfred Urey's boyhood, I think. Um, an Atlanta temple, Jewish temple, was bombed. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we come to they're waiting in traffic to go to temple and it's just something horrible's happened. There's all sorts of sirens and everything and it's raining, but she asked him to get the umbrella and go check and see what happened. So he goes out in the rain and he comes back and he's like, Miss Daisy, you're not going to temple today. You know, he's, well, why not? And he has to break the news to her and she is horrified. Yeah. She doesn't want to believe it. Somebody's like, bombed the temple. She's like, the policeman's lying. Like that didn't happen. Yeah. It's like her nine 11 moment yeah. in her lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now Alfred Urey says the author of the play he says that he kind of wanted so here you, in the south you've got two minorities and that, that shows up when they're traveling to Mobile to her brother's mm-hmm. yeah birthday party you see that on that scene with the officers the police officers on the side of the road but the difference between them is um, Hoke is more accepting of his situation and it helps him handle it better. Okay. You know, he knows what he can change and what he can't. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no sense in him dying on a hill that he can't change. Yeah. Um, but he, but he does know things he can change. And you see that with him, like you said, driving up to her while she's walking. Um, so he can have an effect, uh, but she refuses. She doesn't see things the same. Yeah. Yeah, and she kind of she's forced to turn a blind eye by saying, "Well, the cop just lied. Yeah, nobody would bomb the temple. Yeah, yeah." But it's also, I mean, yeah, their interactions are also the way they grew up was also different. Oh yeah, she might have she might have experienced some discrimination for being Jewish, but she can pass. She's white, right? So. Unless someone asks her name, right, which is what happens in the scene with the officer. That's right. Yeah, the, the registration for the car. Mm-hmm. Unless someone asks her name, they don't know she's Jewish. Yeah. So um, it's yeah. So yeah, they both have that. That also kind of impacts how they interact with the world because she's probably seen less of that. She knows it exists, but she's probably seen less of that, and the experience is just different. Yeah, my last name used to have two ends. Lindemann. Yeah. Um, and uh, when my family back in the 1800s, when they moved down here from New, they lived in New York, New York. Uh, and when they moved down to Tennessee, they dropped it in. 
Yeah. Well, and you know that she knows that too in the in the police scene because they ask, "What kind of name is that?" Yeah. And she says it's a German derivation. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't buy it, but she's she said the name's German. Yeah. She knew where she was too at that point. Yeah. I think she and Hope both. She kind of knew what Hope knew once they got to the other state. Yeah. Yeah. That she could be pinpointed. All right. So now that the that this has it's great writing because now that this has been introduced, that she's also dealing with um, some of the same feelings in, in a way, but from a different angle that Hope is dealing with about society and her role in it. Um, she invites Bully to go to a dinner where Martin Luther King is giving a speech after the dinner. Yep. And Bully's afraid to go because he's afraid it's going to hurt his business. Um, so there you have a little bit of a, you finally see Bully in a different light. Yeah. You finally see him in more of a pessimistic role, you know? Um, but it's, it's the first time we see Hoke take any offense. All the one-liners she's given him, all the disrespect she's given him, all the, I'm leaving, well, good, you know, all that. He finally takes offense. And I believe it's because she decides she's going to invite him, but she doesn't tell him till they're basically there in the car. Yeah. And he takes offense to that. Yeah. And he ends up listening to the speech from the car radio, right? Yes. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, they kind of have a they kind of have a blow up about it and she storms off. Yeah. Into the dinner and he's standing there at the car. So he goes back, you know, he sits in the car and parks the car and sits in the car and listens to it on the radio. So their angles are are it's the one time their two angles are shown real obvious because she says, Well, this man has changed society. And he says, well, that changed all that much. Yeah. You know, he's he's frustrated. Yeah. All right. 1971. So we, we happen to be in the year 1971 on the fateful morning that she gets up and she freaks out because she's late for school and she can't find the papers that she graded the night before. Of course, she's been retired for like 20 years at this point. Yep. Um. And Hope shows up and realizes something's wrong. And this is where he calls Bully and Bully says, oh, is she just, you know, freaking out? And as I know, so this time it's different. Um, and Bully says, I'll be right there. You know, uh, <clears throat> I think the movie, I got kind of teary eyed after that. Yeah. You know, what I mean, that was it, because then they eventually go and Bully is sold the home. Yeah. And, and it kind of leads you a little bit when you, when Hope, comes up you can tell it's later because hook's granddaughter is driving him yeah they come up to the the house that's been sold so you know time has passed a lot yeah and you kind of wonder a little bit okay has she died yes okay the first time i watched it i remember wondering that and you know and and because the house is empty and hoke and bully meet in the house and and bully says you know, it feels weird to sell this while she's still alive, but she hasn't crossed that threshold in three years or something to that effect. Yeah, it's been two years since she's been home. Yeah. And he asks, uh, he says, uh, Hoke, your granddaughter's driving now? And he says, well, she's 35. Yeah. She's <laughs> teaching at a college. Yeah, she's teaching at a Spelman College, biology. Yeah. He's like, wait, where have you been? 
So a lot of times passed, um, and they go and eat Thanksgiving dinner with her. Yep. And she tells Bully to go flirt with the nurses because she just wants hope for herself to talk to him. Um, and he feeds her her pie, and that's the end of the movie. Yep. So this this movie was all about relationships. You have a really yeah, they do a really good job of showing the relationship that forms almost instantly between Bully and Hoke. Um, and then you have the scene where we, we didn't talk about it, but we'll talk about it real quick. You have the scene where uh, Hope tells Bully that one of his relatives up in Ohio was called and said, name your price and you can come work for us. And uh, Bully just kind of grins. And he's yeah, like, he knows what's going on. Did they? Yeah. And he knows Hope's not lying, but he knows that Hope's not stupid either. Yeah. And did you catch that uh, she asked him at in the last scene, she asked him, now, he hadn't driven for her in years. Yeah. Is he still paying you? And he says, yes, ma'am. That that meant a lot to me right there. Yeah. That means Bully's learned something. Yeah, Bully, Bully is a, Bully's a complicated character because he's willing to be friendly with Hope. He's willing to hire him to drive his mother around and yeah. look after her, ultimately. Um he is, he's willing to continue to pay him after, you know, long after he can't drive, after Hope can't drive anymore. Yeah. But he's not willing to do something that might hurt him from a business standpoint. Yeah. So. And it's a good writer that can, um, it's a good writer that can make you see these things, show the humanity in a person. The good and the bad and the ugly, and you're not totally, I hate to say write off. I'm not trying to have that puns here, but, and you don't just write that character off and say, I hate that person. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's great writing because each one of these characters is human and they're all flawed. Yeah. Yeah. He comes off, he comes off a little slimy at times. Yeah, he does. But, cause, you know, just kind of in, in the way some business people can be, but, Again, not enough that you're like, you know, oh, I, you know, I don't care at all what happens with him, you know. You still care. Yeah. 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 Well, a couple of last things to tie up. Okay. Let's see. This was a, a, evidently this was one part of a three-parter and I couldn't find the order. Oh, okay. But, uh. Alfred Urey wrote three things, evidently, about his, and they all had something to do with his family. There's Last Night at the Ballyhoo, which earned a Tony. And he also wrote a, a musical in 1998 called Parade about a man accused of murder. And this is kind of a thing that happened. A man that worked for his uncle was accused of murder back when he was younger. Hmm. So he took stories from his life, and they all did very well. Um all right, brace yourself. In 2010, this was revived on Broadway as a, as a play. Okay. Angela Lansbury. Okay. And Darth Vader himself, James Earl Jones, played Hoke. Interesting. Interesting. Join me and we can go to the Piggly Wiggly, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> even outside of that character, James Earl Jones has such a deep voice. That it's kind of hard to picture. It is. It is. Because Hoke is in the movie 
and in the play before that, such a soft-spoken character. So. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's what I got. I, I I think this is our first film. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and uh, I, there was a lot of humanity in this. So, um, yeah, it was. I mean, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Good, really awesome. I was going to ask you. Good. So I'm so excited. Good. All right. Yeah, that's that's all I got. Okay, folks. Well, you can find us on social media at WMUH Podcast. On Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. You can email us wmuhpodcast at gmail.com. Write in, tell us what you think of the episode, tell us what you think of the movie. Yes. And uh, leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you're listening to this on. Rate, like, and subscribe. We'll see you next week. Later.